Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But, but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Good people, good fam, good profane faith fam. How y'all doing out there in quarantine land? Well, I guess if you're thinking about it, a lot of states are opening up now. So maybe you are one of those states and you're in one of those spaces right now that is opening up. Even though we have no uh, vaccine or cure for this uh, COVID-19, you know, places are open up because, hey, you know what? The economy, right? The economy. I think that's what's... um I think that's what's so interesting about this whole thing, right? We, I mean, a lot of us already knew. I imagine most of my audience that, you know, is on Profane Faith, you know, knew this a long time ago. But it's really on public display to see just how much we care about things and money uh, than over people, right? And that the discourse um, and the rhetoric that's being said, particularly on the right, is, um, you know, one of death and that, hey, it's okay. We're going to lose some people and that's all right. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. We got to get America back to work, you know. Um, that stuff always amazes me, um, <laughs> right? And then just the amount of shit that's wrapped up with um, goddamn uh, <laughs> uh, religion, right? Um, yeah. It's interesting. My uh, my wife and I have been talking and uh, she was having a conversation with some uh, friends in regards to just religion and, you know, thought processes. And it's just always amazing to me just how many assumptions we make. And I, I know um, because I come from a very religious, very fundamental background. Um, those of you who know me know that. And you know, once upon a time, I thought that way. I'm not going to lie and sit here and be like, oh, yeah, I've been woke since day one. No, 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 no. Um, you know, and I still think there's there's more of me to be woken up. I, You know, I've said this before, right? It's like I don't think woke being woke is like a static position. I think it's an ongoing process. And as you will become more aware, as you learn more, as you experience more, right, you become more aware of what is out there and what has the possibility to help change you. Right. And that be, that becomes that process of woke. I don't think it's just, you know, that you get it and all of a sudden, oh, I'm woke. I'm good to go. Right. <laughs> so but anyway, she was having some conversations. And just again, it's always amazing to me, the evangelical mind and just how um, you know, just how much, how many stereotypes get brought up, 
you know, in regards to who we think of as, for example, who are satanic, right? What constitutes being satanic? What does it mean to play a Ouija board? What does it mean to read tarot cards? What does it mean to do, right, to do all those things, right? What does it mean to wear a five-star pentagram? What does it mean to play Dungeons and Dragons, right? And that people are still having these conversations, right, over Dungeons and Dragons and Harry Potter. Like, these are things that don't even enter my my realm anymore, right? Um, maybe 25 years ago, uh, I was still having these conversations, but it's, I'm not anymore. Um, and... I, it, you know, it, it, it pains me because oftentimes I just I don't want to have, you know, dumbass conversations about shit that I've explained a thousand goddamn times right before in regards to God. I mean, to believe that Christianity is the only religion uh, that is that that is the truth, the way and the light. Right. I mean, that's insanity. I mean, you can read and look at, you know, both, you know, in what's considered in canon and out of canon of, of Jesus. Uh, and you can see nowhere does Jesus ever say just like, OK, y'all niggas go out and get some goddamn, you know, Christian Christianity started. And that's going to be the only religion. Nowhere. Nowhere. Um, so I just think about just how messed up, you know, shit is that, um, you know, how we stereotype folks, right? It's like how we, how we look at someone who we think is different because homogeneity, you gotta remember, it doesn't, it's not just, um, it's not just in race and ethnicity. It's also in ideology. It's also in worldview. If we're always hanging around folks that think like us, act like us, right? Uh, that set of, of, of normativity will become our own set of lens. And so it's not uncommon, right, for folks to just have these ingrained worldviews about how we think of those who are different than us, right? Um, what constitutes somebody who, you know, uh, who sleeps around? What, is that, what does that look like, you know, sleeper? And, and is that the end all be all, right? It's like, you know, particularly conservative Christians of all walks, they don't have to even be evangelical, right? You know, we'll look at sex and such a negative way and even the, the the areas surrounding that you know masturbation right what does that look like you know in the evangelical world it's all purity and i can't say that any of those things have produced a solid fruit it's produced fear it's produced people who have had affairs it's produced people who have lied right it's produced people who have raped it's produced people who have uh committed heinous heinous issue in things and crimes right that, uh, with other folks um you know and i think about it you know i think about uh, again this is another conversation that i have with my wife about you know a couple that she knows that uh and both partners uh they they were both aware of the other partner so in other words it was a, it was it was a uh, polyamorous, you know, relationship and stuff and i think about that right it's very easy to judge that and be like oh my goodness and it's very easy to overlook those things because, again, in our world, or at least in my world, right, it's about monogamy and about one person. But how how great is that? This is the conversation that my wife, that Emily was saying, my wife, and she was like, you know, but everybody on, on is on the up and up for that, right? It's like, everybody knows. There's no one lying, no one saying this is what you're signing up for. Um, this is what you're doing. This is what's happening. And rather than lying about something, you know, uh, let me, let's just put it out there. Right. So, so what does that, you know, what does, what does that look like? And that's what I really begin to mean when I say, let's push beyond the colonized mindset. 
of Christianity because so much of Christianity, even when it's remixed, it's still the pig with, with lipstick. It's still just, you know, a fat ass pig uh, with a little bit of lipstick, maybe some candles and, you know, maybe you got you a DJ in the corner and whatnot, but it's still the same old shit. Remember long ago, I was so excited when I heard about this, this, uh, this organization, this ministry organization that was, you know, doing outreach to uh, people who were in, you know, who were sex workers and, uh, and, um, in like the porn industry and stuff. And I was like, wow, that's great. And like, man, you see them on the paper, you know, it's like, oh man, they got the tasks, they got everything. I said, all right, this is cool. And then you just dial in for, I don't know, two minutes and you see that there's no difference between that theological worldview and the one that you would find in maybe somebody like Saddleback or some other, you know, uh, even a Paul Haggis uh, church, right? If you're familiar with him, Google him, right? You know, you gonna know who that is. Um, and it's very interesting, right? Because it's like on the outside, whoa, you got the tats, you got the piercings. Maybe some people even came out of that industry, right? And now we're going to go back in, but it's the same conservative fundamentally a charged and rigid way of looking at God, that God is only really up there as a lane keeper um, and that God just wants to just, you know, beat your ass down if you don't do what's right. I don't I just don't believe that shit anymore. I don't. And it's the whole reason I have this podcast, Profane Faith. We are looking at those aspects and we are trying to wrestle with things. And I think part of it is just because we just don't like not having answers. We don't like the ambiguity, right? I want it wrapped up nice. And in this American economy, right? With this, you know, capitalism fights for answers. Capitalism fights for, and neo-capitalism, right? For that matter, you know, pushes towards an end goal. And the realities of the supernatural, there is no real end goal. How can you explain someone who can be in two places at once? Right. Our minds can't even get around that head is around that. How do you begin to explain, right? Quantum telepathy. You know, how do you begin to explain how we engage and utilize our third eye? Again, these are all things that I think we can't just have an answer for. They just are. And that's my problem with most of Christianity is that it seeks answers. And I've, this isn't anything new that I've ever, ever said, especially in any of my talks and everything. It seeks for answers, but yet it settles for placid responses and conclusions rather than actually sitting with the ambiguity. No one knows what the hell happens when we die. No one. All right. Um, you know, for those of you, you know, who are listening, you know, it's like I, I don't I have come to a space in my own theological, you know, journey that I don't necessarily believe that the, the word that we have right now from God is the only divine and inspired text. I just don't believe that anymore. Um, and be, and here's why. One, it was constructed by humans. Once upon a time, I used to believe because this is what was taught um, that, you know, the Bible came from God itself and that God was the one who inspired this and wrote the pages out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I go to seminary. Then I go to grad school and I'm like, whoa, that's not how this shit went down. Right. You get a bunch of men in a room. I've said that again, I've talked about this before. So if you're new to Profane Faith, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Profane Faith. Yeah, and I highly recommend going back and listening to a few other episodes, you know, rather than, you know, uh, although we do jump into the deep pretty quick, but, uh, you know, you can go back and listen to episode 00, what the, pro, what the podcast is about, and then just my own story, episode one. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I just, I do. I think that, you know, I'm not sure that these, these cats got it right. 
um, you know, when you start to look at biblical history and archaeological evidence and whatnot, um, you know, there's aspects of that that don't match up, like children of Israel, right? It's like there's, there was no necessarily homogenous group that existed, you know, in that. Those, those, it's being, it's being concluded that a lot of that stuff is just coming from different stories, right? Nomadic tribes that came together and said, hey, Let's come up with a story that unites us. And, you know, we know stories uh, that unite us. I mean, it'd be the difference if somebody 3,000 years from now picks up the, ar the, the, the archives of Star Wars and says that, right? Like, imagine if Star Wars was the only movie left in 3,000 years and they, and they just happen to have, you know, episode four, five, and six, you know, I, I, I know those those will get me in trouble with the Star Wars community, right? Because I know episode one, two, and three are contested, so are seven, eight, nine. But imagine they just have that, and they're thinking this is the way the universe. This is what this is where we came from. These were the wars of the stars, and you know we defeated this. I don't know where Luke Skywalker is. I never met him, but this is what it says, and I believe I felt the force, right? Um, stuff like that, right? You know, I mean. And I'm not saying that they're booty and that we should do away with them. But, you know, another reason I don't believe this is because there's too much contextual misinterpretation, right? The European expanse and the age of exploration fucked everything up, straight up. And so as a person of color and from those oppressed people groups, I cannot take what my oppressors tell me is the word of God as the word of God. I need to go and figure that out myself. And I need to go and dig and dig and dig and continue digging because I cannot trust them. <laughs> okay. Um, and again, that's part of the decolonization process of that. Um, and number three, you know, at the end of the day, there's always shit that comes out. I think that what, what gets me is that <sighs> I was trying to think of how deep I want to go here with this because, you know, this is a whole rabbit trail about who owns Christianity, right? Um, I think about the amount of people. I'm forgetting the, who the Hobby Lobby um, owners are and just their connection. I was reading this very interesting article in The Atlantic um, in regards to religion and, you know, the proof of the scriptures and that they're there and come to find out man just you know it's just it's this whole melee of, of crap of people making shit up and uh, a combination of that and evangelicals buying shit stealing shit right from uh from africa really and trying to craft that narrative and story into a white jesus or a really a white religion and so um you know for me it it you know all that shit reeks right of crafting god into your own image right and but it sells Right. I heard somebody the other day that, you know, talking about this expert they knew uh, in heaven. This was an expert in heaven. I was like, what heaven? Which one? Are we talking about the Zulu's understanding of it? Are we talking about the Sierra Leone's? Are we talking which one? Are we talking about the Aztec version of heaven? Heaven. If you call yourself an expert in heaven, which heaven are you fucking talking about? But here we go. Right. That's their shtick. That's their platform. They probably sold all kind of fucking books. Right. So, yeah, man. This shit right here, I'm telling you, pisses me off, drives me nuts. So, again, it's difficult for me to believe that a group of men, humans, got everything right. And if God was so concerned with having this one narrative, why didn't God leave some shit around? Which leads me to believe that God is much bigger than just what we've read 
in the uh, you know in what in, in the stories. I, I believe there's truth in those stories, right? Uh, I believe there's some great narrative in them that we can learn from, whether they're true or not. But at the end of the day, to 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 base a whole ideology around people, right? The the notion that you know that we see now that you know LGBTQ folks can't even get you know access to COVID testing, right? Because they're gay or they're this or whatever because they don't fit that model. That's bullshit, yo. That's bullshit. Um, you know, and we're seeing with COVID just the unbelievable amount of people of color, particularly African Americans, you know, being being really killed off by this because of the access to health care. Like, I don't know. I think God is much bigger, and I think we have to begin to expand upon who God is and how uh God how God manifests God's self in that in spaces beyond, again, the colonized patriarchy. And I guess that's a, that's a difficult process. I don't have the answers to, to that other than I know I want to continue on the journey. And I think the further we journey along, hopefully together, uh, we can figure out, you know, what this stuff looks like. But it's not easy. It's not easy, which brings me to my guest this week. I got Reverend Lenny Duncan. Oh, my goodness. If you know him, you know already what's going down. Uh, this was a recording or an interview that we recorded uh, a while back, a few months back. And uh, again, trying to get through all the ones that I've recorded because I have some that I've recorded. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to I need to have some. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I need to get some of these out. So I'm trying to get these out. Um, and uh, I had met Lenny uh, a while back. I think it was actually last, not 2019, but 2018. Uh, we were in, I believe, Denver or something like that. It was at some gathering. I forget what it even was. I got to, it was probably my, one of my last gatherings that I was at to actually, you know, somebody actually paid me to come out and speak. Uh, and this brother, I was on my way in. I was doing a talk. He was on his way out. And I was like, oh, man, we got to connect. And then a uh, good friend, uh, Lenora Ran with the Mini. Shout out to Lenora and the Mini, uh, who are faithful listeners as well. They were, uh, Lenora connected me with Lenny. and was like, y'all need to have a conversation. So we did. And he's talking about his new book. Oh, my gosh. This is an amazing conversation. So, and it fits very aptly with what <laughs> I just got through talking about here. Uh, Lenny Duncan, he, him, is a follower of Jesus Christ and is in a passionate love affair with grace. He spent most of his teen teens homeless after leaving home at the age of 13. Man, he uh, has spent time in all 48 continuous states, uh, sleeping by the side of the highway or in the penthouses along the way. He has been a prisoner of war in the so-called war on drugs. After systematic oppression of drugs didn't kill him, Lenny found himself in a strange place, the church. Uh, he's been everything from high school dropout, drug dealer, sex worker, street corner poet, hitchhiker, Dharma bum, small town drifter, seminarian, political activist, father, pastor, lover, public theologian, and writer. Now he parties dead sober and thrives in the PNW. He's currently the mission developer pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church, launching their third site in downtown Vancouver. Uh, and you'll be able to hear more of his stuff on his website, uh, Church Without, uh, without, let me make sure I get this right, Church with no name.org and church with no name.org. I'll put that in the show notes as always at whitehodgepodcast.com. This is your first time. Again, welcome, rate and follow us, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, of course. That's great. That is the podcast. Um, 
currencies. So get up on there. And he also has his amazing book called Dear Church, a love letter from a black preacher to the whitest denomination in the U.S. I got a chance to sit down with uh, Brother Lenny here, like I said, a few few months back. And we had a chance to just to talk about his life, where he's been, what he's been, what, been, what he's been up to, what he's currently doing and what he hopes to do. Um, and it was truly a blessing. And so I passed this conversation and blessing along to you all. Please enjoy, stay safe, take care, and keep critically thinking. Peace. Uh, all right, man. Well, Reverend Lenny Duncan, brother, welcome to uh, Profane Faith. Thanks for taking the time to come out. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely. I I figure we could talk about Kanye's new album. Oh so. Lord, have mercy. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I haven't I haven't even heard it yet, but I I I, I saw the uh, the the publication of it, and I was like, oh Lord. Um. I well, uh, for the listeners, because I, uh, uh, I definitely want I definitely want to hear your opinion on that, man. But what? Uh, What's been yeah. happening to you, man, from birth to now? I, I'm curious to know where, how you've ended up from then until now. Yeah, so um, right now I am a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. All right. I'm serving in Brooklyn, but not that Brooklyn. I'm serving in real Brooklyn. Um, you know, I serve in East New York, which is the furthest end of Brooklyn from Manhattan before you get to Queens. Um, a neighborhood that mostly has uh, NYCHA or public housing in it. Uh, very few. Um, I think the the closest grocery put put in perspective for folks, the closest grocery store, which was awful. Um, it was owned by these two Latinx cats that I try to support, but you know all the food would be rotten. That just closed. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Within like a you know what I mean, like within like a square mile, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Like like a food desert within a food desert. Right. Um, surrounded wow. by three, three NYCHA housing complexes, uh, no subway, you know, the subway's a 17 minute walk away, you know, um, all those things that make it like a forgotten area of Brooklyn. Right. right. Um, uh, and so we're an African descent or black Lutheran church. Um, that's queer affirming, um, which is makes us unique. Um, in that sense, uh, and I've been there for coming up on two years and, uh, um, you know, but like, you know, uh, formerly incarcerated, formerly homeless, um, not the kind of cat, like no one, if, if people were taking bets, they wouldn't have bet on me, uh, being a pastor. Um, they would have bet a lot of other things, but pastor wouldn't have been it. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. you know, the money, yeah, the good money was on other things. And, um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and um, just wrote a book uh, called from Fortress Press called Dear Church, a love letter from a black preacher to the whitest denomination in the U.S. That's been um, pretty successful um, for a first time writer. So, you know, um, and, you know, you I, I know that you've written a few books. You know how the publishing thing goes. Um, they don't want to invest in you till they know you can make money. Then after you start making them some money, they don't know what to do with you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the truth. You know, then they're like, oh, people are actually interested in, you know, dismantling systemic racism in the church. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, people are kind of into that. Right. 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 <laughs> but I, 
But I love my I love my publisher. I love my editor. Shout out to Lisa Kloskin. I always give her a shout out whenever I do anything. Oh, Lisa. I know um, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Good people, you know, um, really got behind the vision of the book. And, uh, you know, was quietly telling people, like, this is going to be big. Right. And then ended up being uh, bigger than any of us expected. Um, and so, you know, uh, with some, you know, working on my second book right now. Um, that I can finally start talking about because I'm like a couple chapters in. I feel like I have something to talk about. So that's it, man. That's that's my story. Um, man. You know, uh, yeah. Well, so I'm curious, man. So are you an East Coast uh, brother as well? Like, you, you oh, more, I, more? Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Nah, you know, but that's 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 where I'm at, man. I I just I've been doing a book tour for the last couple months. Um, uh, so from July till now, and I still have a couple more stops ahead of me. I've been spending Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the road, and then Wednesday through Sunday serving the church since July 2nd um, with a couple dozen, you know, however many weeks that is. So July, it's the end of October. So four, eight, twelve, about about uh, almost almost like 20-some book tour stops with okay. a couple of weeks where I did too. Yeah. So... You know, just getting off the road and 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 kind of settling back in. You know, that's okay. where I'm at. Yeah, no, that's what's up, man. Well, and I'd be curious though, man. Like, what? So you talked about growing up, you know, East Coast, the whole nine, man. What? And what was? I mean, the the homeless situation. Like, I, I'd be curious just to kind of you know get in get into that a little bit more, man. Like, what? How did? I mean, you yeah. know, what what turned it around? What was you know what what was happening? Yeah, so um, I left home when I was 13 years old. I grew up in West Philadelphia on 63rd Street um, to historically uh, place that for any black listeners. Um, I grew up uh, seven blocks away from where the move bombings happened, right, in Philadelphia, um, which is the worst case of, um, I mean, to me, it's it's crazy that people don't even know about, but people didn't even know about Black Wall Street, right? Right, and right. So it, it's, it reminds me of that. You know, it was the Philadelphia Police Department dropping C4 from a helicopter onto a building and burning down a neighborhood, you know? Right. Um, and so, you know, I, that's where I grew up. I, you know, I'm a hilltop kid if you're a local Philadelphia, you know, person, you know, um, hung out mostly up on top of Overbrook Park around that area. And, um, you know, and my parents, you know, God bless them. You know, they're both in the church triumphant. Um, they 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 were jackasses. I mean, they were my jackasses, but they were jackasses. <laughs> OK, and, you know, and and uh, they, um, you know, they really struggle with alcohol, um, with alcoholism. They really struggle with addiction. They really struggle. You know, my father had made it to uh, the 11th grade before anyone realized he couldn't read because of social promotion in the Philadelphia school district, um, in the fifties and sixties, you know? Um, so social promotion was, you couldn't, you couldn't be left back more than two years in a row. Okay. So he would get left back. Then they would promote him. Right. And then the next year, you know, like, so, so, so he would get, you know, they would just move him along for social promotion. <laughs> but, you know, my father couldn't read by the time I was in first grade. Um, you know, my dad would take me out of school so I could fill out job applications with him all day. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he couldn't read write. And so, um, you know, and I had really good handwriting and, and like could obviously read. And so, you know, I, I grew up in a lot of those kind of conditions. I don't want to make it seem like my house wasn't full of love. 
But, you know, there was a lot of violence and a lot of drug use. So around 12 yeah. years old, you know, I just decided I'd probably be better off on my own. And um, I started traveling around the country. I started hitchhiking. I mean, I fell in with the Grateful Dead and that whole crowd and like Damn. the fish crowd. And, uh, you know, by the time I looked up, I was about 16 or 17 years old. And I had seen all 48 contiguous states in the United States. And, um, wow. and so it gave me a different perspective. Um, cause you know, when, when people hear homeless, they automatically, you know, their head automatically goes to like, Oh, you know, and there was a time where like, you know, I would have to, you know, wait till someone was walking out of a restaurant and they were drunk and they threw away their leftovers, you know, and I'd grab it out the trash can. Mm. And there were times when I was sitting on the sidewalk, but it wasn't all like that. You know, there's a whole culture of people in the United States who have slipped between the cracks and most of them are from the age of 13 to about 20 some years old. Most of them are queer or LGBTQIA, you know, for different reasons, aren't welcome in their home or just yeah. don't feel like something that fits, you know. And, um, you know, and I, I was LGBTQIA, but we didn't have language for that in the early 90s. You know what I mean? I right. was just like, you know, I was just like, you know, I was like, sometimes I make out with girls, sometimes I don't, you know. And so I didn't I didn't have language for that sort of thing. Um but, you know, I definitely knew I, you know, wasn't like everyone else. And, uh, you know, so there was this whole world of people from that age of like, you know, 13 to about 25 who lived this sort of alternative lifestyle in the United States of America. Some of them were train hoppers. Some of them were like, that's a little bit of money, you know, like taking LSD from San Francisco to Colorado to trade it for pod, taking that pot to the East Coast and hopping on a plane and doing it all over again. Um, some of them were just, you know, you know, like selling crafts and shit, like you see on Etsy, you know, <laughs> like, right, right. You know, like, like it, there, there was, there's this whole face of America that, um, that, that most people in the United States don't deem to look at and, or have never experienced. And so, you know, you can't be black and hanging out in that sort of scene without going, without getting in jet, you know, without getting locked up. You know, um, and when I hung out in Boulder, Colorado for a few years, I think the black, the, the black population was 1.3%. Okay. So, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I stood out like a sore thumb. So, yeah, you know, I was like, why? You know, and I'm like 16. I'm like, why is everyone else, you know, selling weed and not getting arrested? And I am, you know, and it was, I, couldn't put, <laughs> I couldn't put two and two together. You know what I mean? Until finally, you know, I started, I was like, oh man, this is, this is definitely because I'm black, you know? Um, and so, you know, got a bunch of petty weed charges across the country and that sort of a thing. And, you know, once that stuff starts to pile up, you know, you look back, you're 17 years old, 18 years old. You know, I got a GED in a county prison. I got, you know, I got nothing going for me. You know what I mean? I, I got a slew of felonies with, you know, no, no hopes for change, you know, yeah. uh, post 18 years old. And. You know, so a lot of it was like that, but there was also a lot of joy. I mean, like, you know, I saw places and did things that most people still haven't done. You got 40 year old people who ain't never left a neighborhood. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. You know, and, and I've I've screamed across. I've screamed. I've screamed across the Grand Canyon. I've I've hiked the Rockies. I, you know, I've been on top of Mount St. Helens like, you know, like like, you know, I've. I've jumped in the Atlantic Ocean, hopped in my buddy's car and drove all the way to the Pacific and jumped in there within like a four day period, you know, like, 
I've done some things, but at a really young age. So, um, yeah, man, that's 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 what it was like for me. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was older that I realized that a lot of this stuff um, was was due to systemic racism, predatory economics. Um, you know, and that that I didn't realize that most of the kids I was hanging out with who were kind of doing this stuff for fun. You know, they had started on third base and when they got finished with it and grew up, quote unquote, they, they were back on third base, you know, and my ass was selling peanuts in the crowd. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, so. I feel you, man. I feel you. So, I mean, man, so that is, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that before, man, but that's, that's, that is quite the story. Um, that you got going there, I, and I'd be curious. So, how did how, how did a reverend uh, come uh, come to this? How did that even enter into your uh, your worldview? Yeah, I mean, towards uh, um, yo, it's so funny. Someone just texted me and said, "Yo, you hear the new Kanye album? It's really good." <laughs> we'll get we're gonna, we're gonna get to that here in a second, man. I the only be people, but the only people who said that to me are white Christians. No, Lord. no, no. No, none of us have hit me up and been like, yo, you listen to this new Kanye, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. But, but I mean, but we'll get into that. You know, um, I was uh, I was standing in the back of a Grateful Dead show. It was 2010, man. They were called Further by this time. And, uh, you know, a voice from deep down inside said, man, you're getting sober today. And by this point, you know, I had had experience with drugs and some hard drugs, Um I had some things happen to me, but uh, alcohol, it really brought me to my knees. And I just, you know, I had like two years sober. You know, I had spent the whole decade before that trying to get sober. Since okay. like 2000. And I would get these periods of sobriety like a year, six months, nine months. And this last time I had two years and I really thought I had the thing licked in 2010. And, um, and I drank and I was just baffled because I did everything right. You know what I mean? Like I hung out in a 12-step recovery program, you know, I, I, I worked the, the steps with a guy. I, like, hung out with all these, like, you know, roofers from the Northeast who were just, you know, you know, you know 12-step meetings always smell like Newport's homophobia and racism, you know. And, <laughs> right. But, but, right, but I did it, right? But yeah, I did it. Like, yeah. I did it, and I was just like, I was just like, these are the people God got me with, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm right. getting I'm gonna lean into it, right? And uh, and uh, I drank, and I went out for the worst 45 days of my life. Woke up in a blackout in Key West, like you know, just 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 baffled by it. But uh, it's 45 days later. It's February 13th of 2010. I heard a voice that said, "You're getting sober today," and it was like when I try and describe the voice because uh, I'm actually writing about it in my new book. Um, I say a voice so quiet it could level mountains. You know, like that, mm. that, that, that still quiet voice. Mm. And, and I believed it. Yeah. I believed it. You know, and I was hearing lots of voices, like, right? Like I was hearing voices that said, you're not worth it. You, you're never going to get sober again. And people in a, and then people in the 12 step program tricked you. Uh, you know what I mean? You, you should just kill yourself and you're pathetic. Like I heard lots of those things, those messages, but I believe the message that said, you're getting sober. Today. I walked out that show and, um, walked to the nearest hospital and checked myself into a detox um, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And um, 
for some reason, man, I associated that voice with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yeah. And I never, I, you know, I was not a church guy. I wasn't raised in a church, like none of that, you know. I made fun of those kids. You know what I mean? Like me Absolutely, and my brother would go yeah. out on Sunday morning and be like, yo, nice JC Penny suit nut. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like make fun of them. Right. Right. And yeah, you know, like that's what we did while eating like, you know, Chumpy's chips on our porch and being like, yeah, you gotta go to church this morning. Sucker. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just associated that voice with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, man. And I spent like four or five years like sneakily, sneakily going to a, a, a church on like Saturday nights. You know, at one point I had a girlfriend who thought I was cheating on her um, because I just I couldn't go out any Saturday nights with her. Okay. <laughs> but what I was doing was whoever had a Saturday night service, I would just go to. I would just pick a church off the, you know, off, 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 you know, off the internet and if they had a Saturday night service I would go I would take 10% or whatever I made that week I would drop it in the basket I, I wouldn't sign anything you know some people they want credit for that or they want to make sure it goes to a certain man I didn't care about any of that I yeah. just knew that, that for some reason uh, Jesus Christ had stepped into my life and had done something for me but I wasn't one of those guys where where that happens to them and they want to tell everyone about it. I didn't want to tell anyone. I was like, this is the nerdiest shit that's ever happened to me. And I'm definitely not telling anyone about this. Right? Like, I right. had a totally different attitude about it. So I was sneaking going to church. And, um, you know, I fast forward, I had a bunch of other experiences that confirmed that God was active and moving in my life. And, um, you know, I, I was involved with uh, the vineyard movement for a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, they could be a little stiff. And um, for charismatics, they have a lot of rules. And uh, and then I ended up walking into an ELCA church, man, and it, it changed everything for me. You know, uh, pastor was standing up there and he pointed to the table and he said, this is Jesus's table. And he made no restrictions, so neither do we. And you know, I had never heard anything like that in my life. You know, mm. like, mm. Oh, what? You know, I just go up there and get communion and, you know. Um, I knew that the sacraments were important to me. I had figured that much out about myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was after like a year and a half of hanging out at that church, you know, and sharing with that pastor, um, that I felt like I had a call to ministry. They just affirmed it and they're like, okay, you know, and the Lutheran thing is I say, I'm hearing a call from God and Lutheran church says back or a Lutheran community says back to you, well, let's listen together. And you enter into their candidacy process for three years. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, and that's what we did. You know, I ended up going to seminary, finding out that I was pretty good at this stuff. Um, I went to a, I went to a Bible college to get my uh, bachelor's and ended up going to the Lutheran Theological Seminary at Philadelphia, um, which is now United Lutheran Seminary. And, um, you know, I found out that I had a, I had a mind for these things that 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 um, that I had something to add to theological discourse, even though like the whole time, you know, I was just I made fun of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I, you know, I talk about the ivory tower and stuff like that. And, you know, but if it, it I, I found I found what I was put on earth to do. Which wow. is a great thing. Yeah. It is. It is. No, man, that's that's for real. That's definitely for real, man. What? Um, 
So as man, you're doing this and I'm just curious because, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of folks who, you know, kind of went through a, a, a fundamentalist stage. I know, you know, I include myself in that because I, I was definitely there in my, my early years and whatnot, man. Were, were you there, man? How did you arrive to a place where you were just like LGBTQI, man? It's like, this is, this is dope. We ain't going to be hung up by, you know, a misreading yeah. of the Bible. Yeah, no, I mean, from early, almost from early on. So I was involved with a vineyard church plant team. And um, I didn't have language for it, but I knew something was up. A, I was the only person of color um, on the church plant team, which was in, uh, at the time, uh, Northern Liberties, which is old Kensington in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Which is like a traditionally, like, you know, it's, 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 it's traditionally Latin or black or Irish. And these kids were none of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were none of that. And, uh... You know, I started asking questions really on, real early on, you know, like like I was just like, yeah, but like y'all really think I was like, how come Jesus doesn't say anything about this? If this is so important, you know, Jesus seems to comment on a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> and he he never mentions this. Right. And they would hit me with the you know, I was they would hit me with the you know, well, he does say something about divorce and then he mentions Genesis. And I was like, oh, OK, word. And would like go study and like come back and be like, I think Jesus is talking about leaving widows high and dry, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 And they would be like, uh, (laughs) and you know, and at the time I was at Lancaster Bible college and I was like, you know, studying. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. And, uh, and studying this stuff, um, you know, and so, I was learning about hermeneutics. I was learning about uh, um, inerrancy and the flaws of inerrancy. And, um, and uh, you know, it's funny. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I definitely had that stage where I was like, you know, like uh, the, I, I got reunited with the mother of my child and we started dating and she was like leaving evangelicalism. Okay. And like, and I was like, I was like, we have to get married. I just can't do this anymore. When I was with the vineyard. You know, and it's like, I love her to death. We're, we're best friends. You know, she's in the other room now. We're still married to this day. But, you know, I, I don't know if I would have pushed for that if I wasn't involved with the vineyard at the time. You know, yeah. I was just like, you know, because like my sexual theology was in particular incredibly, um, incredibly myopic and really based in like heteronormativity, which I'm now convinced is a structure of white supremacy. Yeah, um, I'm, not, yeah, yeah. I'm, con- I'm convinced that that's that's the thing with it. Um, and really, it's all about propping up capitalism and a post-World War II world. And um, and, uh, um, you know, so, yeah, you know, I was definitely there in that sense that but I was I, you know, I mean, if, if you've ever met me, I'd never be a fundamentalist. I think the worst thing I did um is that, uh, you know, I was around a lot of folks who claim to be, you know, pro-life. And, uh, and, and in that sense that like, you know, I would always take the stance, well, why aren't we talking about people on death row? Why aren't we talking about kids who can't eat? If you're so pro-life, like why, why aren't we talking about these other things? And I think the most conservative thing I did, I talk about this all the time, was that I voted for Mitt Romney after working on the Obama campaign the first time. Was that solely, right? <laughs> yeah, solely, solely because of signature strikes. 
I uh, thought signature mm-hmm. strikes, you know, and if you don't know what those are, if you're listening, signature strikes were um, a, a change in our drone policy where we could bomb any enemy combatant solely with the signature of the president of the United States with no oversight. All the, all the records were sealed, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, we're, and we're not talking about a uh, covert action of, of Ed Langley. We're talking the president gets a picture of a Muslim family at a wedding or at a funeral, which is usually the only time they could get high value targets out in public. And they would drop a, a hellfire missile on everyone just to get to this one person. And they decided they could do it against American citizens who were joining this new thing that they hadn't even named ISIS yet. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, 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 that frightened me. I thought it was a fun, I mean, and now it seems. I thought it was a full, um, I thought it was an existential existential threat to our democracy, which you know, now seems hilarious, right? <laughs> um, but but you know, compared to what's happening now, but 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 at the time, I was like, man, this is this is this this is you know. So I you know was I was I bought into who Mitt Romney was as a person? No. Did I know that Obama was going to carry Pennsylvania? Yes. Did I vote for Romney anyway because he said he was going to stop signature strikes? Yes, I absolutely did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, and I think you know that's the thing. I mean, right? It's like you know, you look at some of these policies, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, I think, and then obviously, I think a lot of folks are getting. Uh, a whole new lesson in political science and how yeah. our our government really works, um, especially now with this whole impeachment thing and you know the you know GOP storming the 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 one the private session and all that stuff. I mean, so uh, I mean, and I'd be curious, man, especially now in this era. And you know, I know some people kind of roll their eyes, like oh, I can't believe you're still talking about this. Mainly white folks who 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 say that, but I just think yeah. as, as POC folk, man, we've entered. Uh, a, a different era and I think it was coming from 9-11 I think Obama was just kind of like a this pause button but there was still crazy yeah. shit happening but you know there was this pause button that made a lot of us and I include myself just kind of like oh well you know we got a black president so you know we're good we're good and you, you know and then you, you look up on some of the policies and you're like whoa wait a minute like how many how many people were deported like wait uh, what's going on yeah. with the borders? Like, wait, he signed that? Um, yeah. But then 2016 yeah. happens and, and everybody's just like, oh, yeah, make America great. So I'd be curious, man, like, how are you handling some of that? And then, like I said, I definitely want to get to the book because I'm very curious about uh, about this uh, about this book. Yeah, I um. So I was the only person that predicted he was going to win. And in fact, I predicted that. And I always say his name because people are afraid to say people are like, not my president. But I feel I. I feel like we sound like the the Tea Party when we say that, right? Donald J. Trump is the president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He, he he won he won in the, he he won enough electoral votes and he won and 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 he won in a, he won a pretty unprecedented amount of of electoral votes. If you want, and we can get into how that works and how really it's only 30, 40 people that carry a whole county in these critical states, and that's all true, right? Um, but, you know, so I name him, you know, um, and I think he's not out. I think he's actually, 
incredibly in line with um, the history of United States presidents. Um, I actually think he's not abnormal. Um, I think his brazenness and his testing of, you know, it's, it's hard for me to talk about the institutions of the United States when I've never been allowed to participate in them. Come on. So I'm, so I'm always commenting as an outside observer as a black man in this country, right? Yeah. And then you have a black queer man with felonies on his record and, you know, and you, yeah. right? But I've always been an outside observer. And so, but... But 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 I am a study of uh, a, stu- uh, a a student of history. I, I I do study the institutions that I'm not allowed to participate in fully, and and I think um what I I think that the 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 main lesson is is that the founding fathers never envisioned someone being openly amoral ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They assumed that. I mean, you know, let's take Nixon as a test case, right? Nixon knew that an impeachment trial during that time in the United States with the gasoline shortage, the struggling economy, the Vietnam War dragging on and on and on, you know, troops really still not out of there yet, the fall of Saigon, all of these things, he knew that the country would explode if there was an impeachment trial. So even Nixon, who I think was a, you know, a, an incredibly morally corrupt person who never should have had the office of the president of the United States and did terrible policies, still had enough moral fortitude to say, I'm going to resign because this will stress the institutions to the breaking point. Donald yeah. Trump doesn't have that. He doesn't right. have any of that in him, and so the the founding the, the founding fathers never envisioned. My fathers were not fathers, right? But 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 they owned my fathers, but 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 they never envisioned someone who was going to ignore the 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 continued. Uh, uh, life of the institutions. You see, they, 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 they either thought the, the the president would have enough moral fortitude to step down, or you know, or or, or not to to grossly violate these um these norms, or that at the very least the person would be so invested in the American experiment that they wouldn't wreck it for the next person, so they could keep going, right? That yeah. they would still be benefiting from it. So why would I? Why would I? Why would I break it? Right? I'm still going to. You know, it's. It's. You know. I mean, these were mostly rich landowners who benefited from a capitalist society and a free market. Um, and they never. You know, this guy doesn't care whether it's broken when he's gone. He doesn't. He doesn't even care about his own children. I mean, think about that. He doesn't. He doesn't care whether or not this thing that has propped up his children. Um, and his legacy continues on. So, so I, I, I think that's the first thing. The founding fathers never could have envisioned that we would vote for such a amoral, corrupt character who didn't even have his own self interest at heart. Um, that's, a, that's a really good point. That's yeah, it's a really yeah, good point. You know, they 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 never saw that coming. I, I also think the second thing is that he's quite in line with the direction that the American Empire has been headed in for a long time now. Um, yeah. yeah, 
he 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 is he is a symptom to a much deeper problem in the soul of America. Um, and impeaching him is not going to change that 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 you know soul sickness. You can't you can't cover up soul sickness with some gauze, you know. And that's and that's what the Democrats are trying to do. Um, so okay, you impeach him, right? I mean, my prediction is is that is that the House will the House will move for impeachment, and the Senate will you know will will not impeach, right? They won't charge him. You won't be indicted. That's that's my prediction. Um, yeah. yeah. And my other and my other prediction is because. I, I've been saying I, I was the only one who said he would win. The minute I saw him come down the escalator, I was like, oh, we're done. You know, that famous scene in Trump Tower where he comes yeah. down the escalator. I was like, we're done. I was like, man, this is this is a Fox News wet dream. I mean, they, they you know, <laughs> you're right. I was like, I was like, right. man, this is so bad. This is, and you know, especially going up against someone like Hillary, I was like, this is so bad. He's going to destroy the Republican field. Um, and I also think he's going to win very handily in 2020. I, oh, I, yeah, I've been, I've been saying that. I don't, yeah. I don't think there's anybody who can, has figured out there. It, it, when I see the DNC, I, I still, and I don't watch any of the debates just cause I don't know, I'm old school and I like to act like, I don't think 45 seconds to solve the Flint water wire crisis is going to do anything. And people just going off of sound bites, but that's just the communication scholar in me talking. But uh, yeah. I haven't seen anyone. They're still trying to use logic and morality that, that, that part of Nixon that you just explained, they're still trying to use that type of, yeah, argument against and trump is in a different category completely different category uh this is this is nothing we've ever seen at least in a public yeah. sphere like this and, and in a public office yeah no i mean there were definitely i mean you could make the argument that teddy roosevelt was the first strong man we ever elected yeah you know but he was smart enough not to say that at a in a speech you know <laughs> like yeah was, he would, right. he would right. you know, he would frame it in the American principles, right? So he would frame these things in American principles of, you know, he wouldn't say this is manifest destiny and expansionism. No, he said he would say we're fighting for democracy and freedom around the world, right? He's the one that set the set the conversation that Franklin was able to then use and move us from an isolationist country to a global power, you know, Um but 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 this is certainly the first publicly out strongman that we've had um, who's really taken some of our worst instincts as a as as a global power um, and, and, and as an empire, I would say at this point, and has really, you know, he's the Nero of our empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really is. You know, and 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 Nero did not care when Rome was burning. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all, man. So, what was the impetus and genesis then for this for this book, man? That you got and you you've wrote, and I definitely want to hear yeah. a little bit, hearing a little bit about what what you're working on next, man. But I'd love to hear about you know this particular text, and you know, I'm I'm glad Fortress put it out. That's good. Yeah. No. Um. So I uh, actually was going to write. So the second book is what I wanted to write and they shot it down. We'll talk about that in a second. So, but I was like really pissed off. Um, I, I, you know how publishing works, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a, an acquisition editor says they like it. They show it to another acquisition editor to make sure that they're not completely, you know, missing something. And then they, 
you know, take it to the team and see if they can get everyone to vote for it. And then they take it to this, you know, the CEO. And I mean, that's, that's, that's what happened with this, with, with, with the first thing I pitched and it got shot down and I was just crushed. And, um, and, uh, and they said, but we want, we want you as a writer and we'd like you to write a book about where you see the church going in the 21st century. To which I replied, I was like, man, I, I, y'all don't want me to have any friends, you know, like, I don't know if I want to do this. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I was also kind of heartbroken and I said, well, you know, you know, when you calm down, right. That very Minnesota nice way of egging you along when you right. calm down, right. uh, why don't you, uh, you know, why, why don't you write a sample table of contents? And I said, yeah, maybe in a couple of weeks. So I was just so dejected. But as I was sitting there in front of my laptop, you know, um, I just got more and more pissed off, man. And I just wrote this table of contents where I was like, well, we're, you know, you know, I was like, you want a book about where the church is going in the 21st century? I'm going to write about how the church is systemically racist and how white supremacy is the grandfather demon and is the, the, the master of all the other demons. And from that comes capitalism and homophobia and transphobia and queerphobia. And I'm going to write about how nationalism is the great evil of our time. I'm going to write about how the conference of bishops is full of cowards and, you know, just this whole very aspirational kind of, you know, almost fuck you, you know, to them. <laughs> right. And I like sent it off and they got back to me a couple of days later and they're like, well, we're, we're green lighting that project. And so that's sort of how dear church happened. I had to, uh, and then I was left with the task of writing that book. Um, and so, I mean, people, lots of people have, I've heard lots of people tell me it's, it's been interesting. I've been listening to how people have received the book. And so like, you know, if you ask someone what the book was about, they would tell you that it's a love letter to the church, which it is. It, it is a love letter. Um, and they would tell you about that. It's about how the church could be better. But really, the premise of the book is is that uh, white that dismantling white supremacy is the only way for the Christian Church in America to have a viable witness. If not, we will be extinct in the next fifty years. Okay. All right. I mean, that's that's really what the book's about. Um, in some of that, I tell my story, uh, but not a lot of it. And in some of it. Um, I talk about the, 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 the way that in particular, the Lutheran church and, um, you know, and, 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 and some of the things that we can work on, um, you know, being in the widest denomination in the, in, in, in the country, according to Pew, you know, um, you know, who better than to start to sit down and start doing white folk work? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And like, like who better? Like what, what would be the witness if the whitest denomination in the U.S. publicly said, we are going to do the work to dismantle white supremacy in our pews first, not in the world, like a bunch of saviors. And then after we get right, we're going to share with you how we did that as a moral compass for the rest of the Christian church in America. You know? Yeah. Um, and so there's there's also some inherent danger in that. It's like asking the perpetrators of a crime to help you solve it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's an, you know if you're a person of color or a black person listening to that, you're like that sounds like an insanely Pollyanna um, 
a solution to the problems that we face, particularly in faith spaces. Um, but I, I, I think, I think that, that, um, it makes sense and, and, you know, that we're the ones who always have to carry the weight. We're the ones who always have to have the anti-racism conversations. We're the ones who have to, you know, if you're queer, you're the one who always has to do like a sexuality and gender training. You're the one who always has to explain pronouns to people. You're the one. What I'm trying to get people to do is to take the onus or the responsibility off the oppressed and to take responsibility for them being oppressors. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, that's the, um, that's the call in the book. Um, you know, and I talk about toxic masculinity I talk about nationalism. Um, I talk about recapturing the revolutionary roots of Jesus. Um, and I and I do that by telling the story in particular of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, and I do that because particularity leads to universality, right? If I talk specifically about my thing and my, and my little corner of the Christian world, well, A, it's going to resonate with the folks who are in it, and B, if you're sitting on the sidelines in another church, you know, um, you, you feel less attacked. And then all of a sudden you start finding universal themes and principles and threads that run through the entire North American church. Yes. Yes, man. Well, and man, I mean, I can't, I can't say amen enough. I mean, so you got chapters in there and I'll confess, I have not read the book yet, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about what, you know, what the book yeah. is. And so, um, uh, you know, and I think it sounds amazing. And I think, you know, this is being yet another, um, resource, you know, cause people are always asking, right. What are the resources? What are the resources out there? You know, you have chapters like dismantling white supremacy and the power of the gospel. The roots are infected. Now I'd be curious on that one. Cause I, I have something similar, but I'm not sure if it's the same thing of what you're talking. What do you mean by the roots are infected? So I tell the story of uh, Pastor Jehu Jones, who was the first uh, African descent or black pastor in the Lutheran tradition, ordained in 1836. Um, you know, and I talk about how I, I, I just retell his story while comparing it to my ordination day and, you know, how little has changed, right? He was put in an impossible situation, wasn't understood by his uh, betters or the people in charge of him, and eventually, you know, lost his church, had to shut it down, um, and was never paid, right? Wow. <laughs> like to add insult to injury, they never paid him, right? So if that's how we treated the first African descent or black Lutheran pastor, and what, what, can, what can we draw about the experience of black Lutheran pastors now? Well, we know that um, particularly uh, black women in, in, in the evangelical Lutheran church in America wait on the average of four to six years for their first call out of seminary. Um, we know that they have experiences that are absolutely um, beyond the pale. Um, um, we know that uh, often black uh, leaders in the Lutheran church um, are put in impossible situations. You're basically parachuted into a new community and told to fix 400 years of oppression with, you know, some communion wafers. Which, look, I believe in the power of the sacraments, right? But, yeah. But, but, but you know, often, um, particularly mainline churches put um, their persons of color and their and their in their obsession with diversity in impossible situations 
just so they can, when it fails, they can say, well, we tried, right? And, you know, and I'm in one of those situations now. And, and, and when it fails, because it will, right? Because there's just too much systemic stuff going on to turn that community around. And I've given my last breath and I've given my last bit of sweat. You know, they'll say, well, we tried. Or it was Reverend Lenny. He didn't do this right or whatever. But that's the same story that's been told since 1836 over and over again. It can't, it can't be all of us, right? Um, it has to be some of the systems in place. And so if the roots are infected, if we've never even addressed that, um, then how can we talk about where are the fruits today? Yeah. Yeah. No, that uh that that makes a lot of sense. I um I Did yeah. I lose you? Oh, no, you still there? Sorry, I must have I yeah, just, I'm here. you must have cut out for a second. I was just yeah. saying that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense given um when you talk about the roots, I think the roots are so important. I I've I've made similar um cases and arguments, you know, in regards to, you know, racism being in the DNA of, of, of our seminaries. Like, you know, the folks who, who write these, 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 these books is like, who, who, how many of them have actually had, you know, training intercultural competencies? Well, of course we're going to find out that most of them haven't. So it's like, well, then how can we actually genuinely look at this from a, a non-colonialistic perspective? And so anyways, I mean, that's so uh, I, I, I appreciate that chapter. And just like you said, the, you know, the, the roots are infected. Um, then you have something else. Dylan Roof and I are Lutheran. Yeah. So I, I thought I was going to take a lot of heat for that chapter, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, so Dylan Roof is, if you don't know, if you're listening, was the young man who walked into a, um, a uh, AME church in, in, in Charleston and, um, and uh, massacred nine people in a Bible study, um, the Charleston Nine. And, um, you know, that was a seminal moment for me. I described myself as a post-Charleston preacher. Um, hmm. That has been the context that I've lived in um, as a preacher. I've never, I don't know what it's like to not have to check the news to find out what massacre or what horror has happened that I have to talk to my people about every week. Um, and so I trace Dylan's history all, I trace my history and Dylan's history all the way up to the day of the Trayvon Martin verdict. Uh, on that day, I uh, Google Black Lives Matter and my life changed, right? I followed that hashtag. And on that day, uh, um, I followed that hashtag on Facebook as it was, you know, spreading around. And on that day, Dylan uh, Googled white genocide. Um, but if you would have taken mine and Dylan's history, they wouldn't have been that different. Um, you know, uh, marginally churched, um, uh, uh, encounters with law enforcement, uh, different various stages of homelessness, drug use. I mean, if you, if you would have, if you would remove some of the identifiers of race, um, me and Dylan's story were almost exactly the same up until that day, you know? Wow. And, um, you know, Dylan was a, was a baptized and confirmed member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We own him. Just like how Pastor, you know, Clemente Pickney was trained on one of our seminaries and is a good friend with, or was a good friend with uh, several of my peers, you know. 
Um, and so uh, I, and, and this is the hard thing, right? I humanized Dylan. The reason I humanized Dylan is because I realized I had spent a lot of time dehumanizing Dylan. Yeah. In, in my attempt to get the, the denomination to own him, I had started to create a monster. And the problem is monsters and boogeymen can't be sitting in your confirmation class, right? Yeah, but, yeah, right, right. But a kid like Dylan could be. And so the, the chapter is an attempt to, to uh, make Dylan real for people. So that way they can recognize him when he raises his hand you know, in, you know, in the church. I mean, and, and I, I really believe that this, you know, they, they, you know, I don't know much, but I do know there was a point where the ELCA actually had a chance to, to, to put something in that kid's head. And I'm not, just, I'm not saying that the pastor, I mean, I know about that church and the pastor and it, it does have a, a funky history and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm not saying that, that, that pastor didn't do this stuff, but, um, but we know better now, right? And so, and so, how can we be better? And I thought that I thought that humanizing Dylan would be an attempt to do that. Man, that's deep. That's deep. I mean, man, and there's so much there, right? I mean, I think, whew, yeah. When you think about just the history of particularly black folk in this this country, you know, or in, or indigenous uh, folks, natives, you know, who, uh, you know, been here for thousands of years and just what has been done to them. I think, um, you know, you, you have a chapter that says it's time for a revolution. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, what does, what does that look like? And then, you know, I mean, I'd be curious, like what, where do you see the next decade? I mean, so many things that, you know, they're being predicted by, you know, in the next, you know, decade, we're entering 2020, new senses, new time, you know, from space travel to, you know, people are getting, you know, uh, you wanting to colonize Mars, want to have the first person. We're going back to the moon from what people are saying by 2023, 2024. Um, you know, James Webb telescope is going up, you know, that I mean, can detect, you so, know, come on. Yeah. So I, I, I think a couple of things, I, I, I think, you know, when I talk about, um, a revolution, I, you know, I can only, I, my, I, I really struggle with people who don't stay in their lane, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if, yeah, I'm I'm from the school of mind your business and stay in your lane, and yeah. and so my lane's the church, right? But that's my lane. That's where I serve. I am a called and ordained minister in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And so when I talk about it's time for a revolution, it's time for us to rethink church. It's time for us. And not to rethink church in the way that emergent church, which I think is was was a movement that was much maligned um, for no reason, right? But well, I mean for good reasons, but still had some good stuff to it, rather. But but I, I think it's time for us to rethink what 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 church can be in American society in the 21st century. If there's anything we learned from the 2016 election, it's that theology matters. That how people. Um, how people uh, believe the divine works matters, um, you know, um, and so theology is incredibly important. And I think it's time for the church to rethink about like who they are, like, like, why not, you know, take your endowment. If you've only got 15 people sitting inside your pews, take your endowment and go pay a black woman's uh, tuition for college. Like just, just, just let it go. Let the building go, sell everything, you know, put, 
hundred thousand dollars into environmental research, you know, um, uh, 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 stop being captured by your walls and by tradition. Um, and so I think that, that, that the church can be the, can, can be the moral center of the revolution or at the very least a chaplain to the revolution. Right. Um, because I think we've also lost our place at the head of the table that we fought so that the church fought so hard for during the civil rights era. And I think that's okay too. And so how do we support these movements that are happening around the country? How do we, uh, how, how do we, uh, how, how do we regain that prophetic um, 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 position where we can speak a good word over these movements around the country? Um, and I think the next 10 years are, are going to prove out to be um, a pretty strange time. I mean, it, all evidence to me points that the American empire is crumbling um, and that church's obsession with the American empire um, is going to crumble right alongside it. Um, and I think that, that, that we still have a word to say um, over that. And I think we can walk in solidarity with the folks who are going to do that work. Um, I mean, but the, but, but I, I, I also think that things are going to get a lot worse before they get any better. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, you know, I just, I just think we're going to see a militarization increase. I think we're going to see technology um, as the, uh, as, as the anesthesia um, for the soul become more prevalent. Um, I think that our, I think that once, once this dummy's done his second term and we actually get someone who has like half a strategic mind, we're going to see the American empire stretch itself um, to the point that it snaps like a rubber band. And then we're going to see the collapse of it. Um, We're also going to see a lot more with the environment. And and I I think at the end of the day, what we're really going to see is the 1% go to the moon, (laughs) go to Mars and leave us behind. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're they're working real hard for it right now. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's and that was really part of my point in bringing that up. I mean, that's those are already those talks are already in the works. I mean, and you know who knows, you know <laughs> if anyone's up there or not. Um, I haven't been there lately, <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, and I again, I, and I asked just simply because. Well, I asked because one, I want I want to know, and particularly like you said with the church. You know, there's a there's a quote you have, or the, at least they put it in the book that I'm seeing yeah. in one of the pictures that says about the church is not dying. You said, "Dear church, you aren't dying. You are being refined." Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I think there's you know um, I think there's this this idea that church is dying, but really what's dying is the 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 abnormal 1950s growth of church, um, and we're really hitting numbers that were very similar to 1910. 1909, 1890, very few people, um, and that's okay. I think we're being refined into what we were meant to be going into the 21st century, which is leaner, more, 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 more flexible, more open to others, and um, and 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 we do better. We are closer to the Christian witness when we are not the uh, dominant culture. When we are part of dominant culture and we're married to empire, I think we're the antithesis of what the gospel message is all about. Um, and I think there's going to be some 
there's you know there's there's going to be some death rows in that right and there's going to be some people who really lament that things aren't the way that they used to be but um i think it's the best thing that can happen to us is i i think this is more like a refiner's fire i'm also real high on america i think if setting aside the the setting aside the institutions setting aside those who think they are in charge setting aside our rulers setting aside our masters setting aside capitalism which is a lot to set aside I think that what America really is, 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 is her people and her people are absolutely amazing and beautiful and are much more one are, are much more full, much more wonderful and full of beauty than those in charge want us to recognize in one another. Um, and I think I think we're going to see a renaissance of that of 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 communities really pitching in together, not in spite of, but in resistance to um, the the federal government and local governments. Hmm. Wow! 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 Man, well, uh, you definitely have given us a lot to uh, to chew on, um, and you know, just the process. You know, the book. Dear Church, a love letter from a black preacher to the whitest denomination in the U.S. Um, all right. So I'm curious, man. Kanye's album. Like I said, I haven't heard it yet. At least at the time of this recording, I haven't heard it yet. So I'm I'm curious if you've heard it. What's what's some what's some thoughts that so, you have, man, before we before we so wrap up I, here? I started listening to like two or three. And I like, yo, I love Kanye. Yo, the fall of Kanye has been like, I don't know if you're like a sci-fi guy, but the fall I of am. Kanye has been yeah, it's it's been like watching the story of Anakin Skywalker for me. It's like heart, <laughs> it's like mad heartbreaking. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, Listen, come on, Anakin, man. <laughs> you're like, you're like, like, you, like, you know where it's going, right? Yeah. You're like, Damn, this dude's gonna be Darth Vader soon, and like, but like, part of you's like, man, maybe it won't happen, even right. though you know where the story's right. going. Um. I think it's gospel music for white people. I'm I'm just gonna keep it real. There like, I think, yeah, I think it's like I think I think he is Kamada. He, he he's 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 making a commodity out of the black church experience, um, and I find that um, distasteful. Um, in the extreme, but it's also got some really good beats, and that's the problem with Kanye. It's got some really good samples. Yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, I mean, Kanye West is a is a uh, a master's class in why we need to talk about mental illness in the black community, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah and, and it's a shame, right? It's a shame that he didn't have anyone around him and he doesn't have anyone around him who loves him enough to be, man, stop what you're doing. You know, like I... I I, I shudder to think that if I if I ever come to a place someday where I have no one in my life who could tell me to sit down, you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's that's where this that's that's where the brother is. He's just in a place where like no one could tell him to sit down, you know. Um and I, I feel bad, to be real honest with you, you know, um, because this this dude's probably I mean, this dude's like one of the Duke Ellingtons of our time. You, you really know that's absolutely yes. And and to watch his genius to, to be thrown away, um, to watch his faith be twisted by uh, the the media culture of our time, it's heartbreaking, right? 
So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get through the album and listen to it a little bit. I'm real influenced by hip hop culture. Uh, my book and, and the way I write is real influenced by hip hop and Twitter culture. I don't I don't tend to be super verbose. I try and pack as much as I can into every line and get double and triple entendres going on. Um, that's that's how I write in seminary. That's how I write my book. That's how that's that's how I preach. And and and, and I have so much respect for the dude. Um, the dude's definitely been an influence on me in my life. But wow, it's just like it's it's you know it's like you know it's almost like watching a car accident in slow motion. Now, yeah, you know right. it's like man, this this ain't gonna be good. You know like we're you know, and, and and what the black community tends to do, like just like with Michael, or we could talk about Cosby, you know, um, you know, Cosby's a creep, yo. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Like, yo, like did, did he get a bad deal because he was a black man? Did they did they publicly humiliate him? Yes. Did he do that? Yeah, probably. You know, sixty women have never accused me of anything like that. So I'm gonna go with yes, right? Right. Um you know, um, and Michael, you know, Michael Jackson too, right? Like, I mean, we, we have, you know, when people die, we tend to remake them in the image of the black community. And the image is usually liberation and resilience. And we remember them really well, but, uh, we'll high five you to the grave, you know, we'll high five you all the way to your, to your, to your bitter, bitter end, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's a, a good example of that, of course, is R. Kelly. I mean, there's still so many folks who support him and, you know, got to get both sides of the story and all this. I mean, nah, so. there ain't no both sides, man. <laughs> dude, dude, dude's, oh, dude's man. a human trafficker. Oh, He's my a God. child trafficker. Exactly. Like, yo, like, it's wild. Yeah, no, and it, it, we tend to do that in the black community. I mean, part of that's just internalized oppression, right? When you're under pressure, so much, right? You get so defensive of the few um, highlights you have in your culture, right? Compared to the dominant culture, and that's all a result of, of of being a colonized people. And and you know, it's tough, man. It's tough. Like you know, I get it. Like you know, but you know, um, I think particularly in black black men have to wrestle with the fact that we do not have, and I and I believe this wholeheartedly. We and I, I would say this generation and possibly the previous, my father's generation, I would say my grandfather's generation had a lot of examples of this. Mm -hmm. But we don't have we don't have a real example of what manhood looks like. And if you if you scan the horizon for manhood, right? If you scan your your community for manhood, if you scan you know, maybe in your personal life, you have anecdotal bits of that, right? You have one or two people who influenced you and helped you along the way. But if you scan the the, the vast horizon of black male culture, um, there is no real life-giving um, examples of manhood, you know? Like, it's all draped in this toxic masculinity, uh, patriarchal, white supremacist bullshit that, 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 that we think... Um, makes us men, and um, you know it's it's tough, man. It's 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 hard out here, you know. And um, yeah, it's hard out here for that stuff. You know, I was thinking about I don't know you you guys got them Hebrew Israelite dudes where you at? Oh yeah, man. It's, it's, it's this one kitty corner from where I live, man. It's a whole yeah, whole, whole, yeah. It's yeah. One, 
There's a boy live across the street from me too, older guy, cat. You know, when I first moved to the neighborhood, I was walking around in my collared shirts. You know, that's what we do in the Lutheran church. We wear those clergy shirts. Yeah. And the boy said, what you one of them bishops? I looked at him. I said, nah, man. I was like, my bishop, you know, I was like, I have a bishop. He was like, oh yeah, which y'all got like five, six churches. I was like, in New York, 253, right? And he was like, what? And we were chatting and um, he came at me. He's like, yo, I saw you smoking a cigarette. Da, 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 da. You know, um, you know, do you know the Bible says this? You're supposed to be a pastor. <laughs> Come on. Right? No, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was like, all yeah. right, we're going to have it today. Right. And I said to him, I said, man, I was like, I was like the highest law, the highest law is to what? Love God with all your heart and soul. Right. All, all your might, all your mind, everything. I was like, what's the next one? Love your neighbor. Right. I was like. I was like, so, uh, you know, like, what, what's loving the neighbor look like, right? And, yo, my man came at me and was like, that's not what it says in the King James. I was like, I'm done. Oh, no. He I was like, the I was, King James. <laughs> I was like, and, I, you know, and I talked to him for a while, and he said, you know, the Bible really says this. I was like, no, it doesn't. I was like, I was like, do you even speak Koine Greek, man? I was like, can I, can I, I was like, you want to use my login so you can look up what those verses say in the original you know, text. And he was like, why would I want to speak the white man's language? I speak Hebrew. And I was like, yo, I was like, even the Hebrew. I accept to it. Y'all down there. You know what I mean? I was like, y'all don't, you know, like, like I'm all for liberation. I think the right. gospel is a call for liberation. But when your when your liberation looks like isolationism and looks like white supremacy, listen, if, if, if you're telling me liberation is only the men are in charge, the women need to cover themselves uh, completely, um, you can no longer have a cigarette, uh, premarital sex is out of the game, uh, you can only eat these certain things, and you have to practice drills for war, right? That doesn't sound right. like liberation. All that sounds like empire to me. That sounds like exactly what we was handed in the first place. Brother, and, I'm with you. You know, I guess the one of dudes, you know, they... Yeah, you know that whole tap stuff, man. Yeah, so, but, yeah. But I think that's a result of the fact that there is no viable examples of masculinity, of 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 life giving masculinity in the world, and we're just grasping at straws. And and so yeah. these wolves, these wolves in sheep's clothing, you know, uh, 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 teach these things, man. And you know, and like. It's a shame, right? It's a shame because that's all internalized oppression, man. That, that you know that, and the dude's cool, man. He's like sixty years old. He sits out front. He cleans up his front, the front of his house. He has respect for the community. I say hi to him every day. He's cool. I like him. He's a good neighbor, right? Right. But, right. But but he does not view me the same way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that and see, and those are the things, man. See, I and I come out of a sliver of that, man, with you know, with the Nation of Islam, and then I went right into Seventh Day Adventism, and so I was trained to argue and win arguments because somehow other folks don't know it, and you gotta you gotta show them, and and even if they show some illuminance of of knowing it, do you do you still know more, right? You you somehow right. been gifted and in and and brought into this, man, so. I feel you, man. Yeah. It's the same way with yeah, some of my Zulu given, brothers too. Yeah, you've been given the secret. You've been given the 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 secret teachings. Just like you know, there's a lot of five percenters around here, right? Oh but, yeah. But, but them dudes are getting uh, long in the tooth. It's mostly older dudes, you know, and 
Like, yo, I used to hang with five percenters when I was like 12, 11 years old. That stuff made sense to me, right? That stuff was was liberating until like I got a little bit older and I was like, damn, that sounds like that 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 sounds like the same thing that 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 I could get from white America if I just bought into that. Right? It's oh, right. It sounds at the end of the day, it sounds like, you know, I'm the only one who should be in charge. I should have, you know, I should I should be the one that has power over others, you know. I should be the one like it, it sounds like the centering of myself when the I think the 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 great the the great teaching of all spiritual paths is that I need to decenter myself to make room for the divine. Mm. That's deep, brother. This is deep, man. Real quick, man. I know the time is is nigh as always and I mean I I'm definitely going to have to get you on here. Um, again, I'm so glad we had a chance to to finally connect. Like I said, when when the video came out, I was like, "Man, I know this brother, man." So, um, yeah, man. G- give me give me a quick breakdown of this new book you're working on, and then where can people find you at, man? Yeah, so uh, I'm working on this thing called Trajectory of Grace. Uh, the New York Times has given a a name to the genre I write in because they were writing about uh, 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 Coates' work, um, but the epistolatory memoir. Right. And so I'm writing a memoir um, and where, where it's at now, it's not, you know, I'll have to turn it in until next August. Thank God. But but where it's at now is that I'm trying to tell the story of America through the seven worst things that ever happened to me in my life. Wow. Damn. And so and so I'm telling my American story so you can say. So it, you can either say, wow, that's close to my American story, or you can say, wow, there's a gulf between our American stories. And I think both have value. Um, and so that's what I'm currently writing about. I'm actually, you know, um, I, 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 I don't know if people are going to like it after Dear Church because I'm really high on America in the book. I'm like, and you know, and, and, and by America, I mean the people. I'm like really high on it. It's a really hopeful vision. <laughs> for america which no, is surprising which is surprising me as i write it you know i'm like wow where is this coming from um where is this deep faith but you can find me on all the social medias man i am uh i am to much to my publisher's chagrin i am on it <laughs> so I probably shouldn't uh today today well i i think i tweeted out what did i tweet out to everybody um, everybody was, you know, there's people still commenting on it. I, I don't know. Oh, wrote, well, real uh, quick, man, you cut, you I, cut I, out. I you said, you said much to my publisher's chagrin and then you cut out. I'm on, yeah, I'm on all the social medias. So you can find me <laughs> at Lenny A. Duncan on Twitter. Uh, you can find me Lenny Duncan, um, on, uh, Facebook and it's a public profile. And even when I get to 5,000, which is soon, like, you know, you can follow me. I don't hide anything. Um, and you can go to LennyDuncan.com to see what I'm up to. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, my, my publisher gets mad because I, I like tweet stuff like queer Christians, including polyamorous Christians, should be leading the way in discussions around Christian ethic and relationship building. Heteronormativity is a product of white supremacy and capitalism, and they prop each other up. Also, all y'all straight folks got a 50% divorce rate, so I don't know about you. <laughs> and so, <laughs> You know, but I'm on all the social medias. If you if you hit me up through the through the um, my commitment is at least currently, and this might change my 
my my boundaries are kind of low. If you email me through the website, I'll try and get back to you within you know at least thirty days. At least drop you a thank you. Yeah. Um, if you hit me up on social media, I usually you know I'll answer you pretty pretty regularly. Um, you know, and you could find you know, you could find me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm there. Um, I'm not hiding. That's what's up, brother, man. Well, and again, those of you listening, as always, I'll put these all in the show notes along with the link uh, to the book that just came out here in July, correct? 2019? Yep. Okay. So go out and uh, buy this book, support, brother, because, you know, you're right. I mean, I know the magic number I've heard with publishers is they want at least 10,000, you know, units being sold. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we're doing good, man. We hit that. We hit that about a month ago. Wow, that's that's impressive, man. I, I, I I'm nowhere near that <laughs> in any of my sales. If you combine all of them, all five books of mine, man, I'm nowhere near that. So that's well, it, it that's caught me off good. guard, man. It, it hit, it, it struck a chord. You know, you, you know the thing. You write a book and you're like, man, ain't nobody gonna like this. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. You're like, ain't nobody. And for some reason, people like this one. The next one, they they might hate. Who knows. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the truth, man. I, I um, yeah, no, I, I, I'll be happy, you know, if I sell 500, man. And so that's, that's about where my latest book is at. So, um, that's good. That's good stuff. But yeah, that's the, you know, those are the latest numbers, right? That people want, want you to do man. So absolutely. If y'all out there support this brother, again, I'll put this in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. Brother, Lenny, thank you so much, Reverend, for coming Yeah, no, I appreciate you spending some time. I'm glad we got to finally connect. And hit me up. We should do this again soon. Absolutely, absolutely. 